This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome back to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And I bet you think I'm ready to get after the Bears and Chargers. No, hold the phone. The Bears are two and five, okay? And the Chargers are slipping. I want to talk White Sox. That's right, White Sox. And no, I don't want to talk about Chris Getz and what the Sox are going to do this offseason. I want to go down memory lane because White Sox fans... You deserve this after the last couple of seasons. You deserve a a 20-0-5 World Series celebration, and we got one of the heroes on to do that with us. It's our pleasure to welcome Game 3 hero Jeff Blum to the podcast, my favorite sociology major in the history of Major League (laughs) Baseball. How are you, Jeff? Thanks for your time, man. I'm doing extremely well. It's good to be on with you. And anytime I get a chance to reminisce about 05, I I am greatly appreciative of it. How did it change your life becoming a World Series champion? Oh, man, Uh, in in plenty of ways, to be to be uh, totally honest, you know, because it was an interesting year. I had signed with uh, the San Diego Padres. My wife was uh, pregnant and eventually gave birth to the to our triplets that same year. And then I got traded from a first place team in San Diego to a first place team in the Chicago White Sox. So there was there was ample opportunity to go to the postseason for me that season. And uh, it just so happened that I got traded at the deadline in that blockbuster deal, you know, tongue in cheek when I say that. But uh, going to the Chicago White Sox and obviously history was made with the opportunity I got in, in game three. But, uh, you know, as far as my career, I think, you know, it, it didn't validate it, but it did give me a certain amount of legitimacy uh, saying that I could uh, I was a World Series champion. I think it gave, you know, it probably gave me a couple extra years on the end of my career. And then also the financial opportunity, having four girls going into college and, and paying for tuitions as we speak, you know, that uh, World Series bonus helped out a little bit, get my girls uh, started in college. Awesome. You know, you're part of a really cool list, and maybe the list begins with Don Larson with a perfect game in the World Series and Buddy Biancalana, and there's Jeff Blum with his his rocket to right at Minute Maid Park. Let let's go to that to that 14th inning if we can. It's probably around one o'clock in the morning. I that was the only game of the series I missed. I was watching at the hotel waiting to go to bed. And uh <laughs> you got two outs. And Ezekiel Estacio is on the mound, and he gets behind you two to nothing in the count. Did you golf ball three into the bleachers, Blum? You know what? It it was pretty interesting because, you know, Ezekiel Estacio is a sinker ball pitcher. You know, he just got Paul Konerko hit into a double play to get those two outs. And as I'm walking to the plate, I'm trying to, you know, I'm still trying to devise a game plan because in my head on deck, I was thinking about having to bunt 
with uh, Kernerko and uh, Jermaine Dye on bass. So I had to kind of shift gears a little bit. My idea when I was digging into the box was I've got to find a way to get into scoring position. Just hit an extra base hit, find a way to get on base, and then get myself into scoring position because I believe Joe Creedy was right behind me, Aaron Rowan behind me again. So we had some thumpers in that lineup that could have turned that game around. But as I stepped in, I said, I'm going to force this guy to throw me a strike for a couple of reasons. I wanted to see a strike, to be honest with you, because it'd been 21 days since I had an at-bat. And the other one was, I figured this might be my only time to be on TV. So I needed some physical proof that I was actually going to be in the World Series. So I took the first pitch. It was a good foot and a half outside. Uh, I said, I'm going to take until I get that strike. Of course, the second pitch is another foot and a half outside. And it was really interesting to me because I knew that the Astros were going to throw me that fastball away because I had spent two years with them. They knew I could turn on a fastball inside no matter the velocity. So they wanted to stay away from the ability for me to do damage in that ballpark. But as uh, the baseball gods would have it, Ezekiel Estacio pulled that sinker to the inside corner down, and that was my happy spot. And I was able to get the, the bat head out in front of the pitch a little bit, elevate it, and hit a rocket, like you said, into the right field bleachers, and uh, the rest was history. And uh, the White Sox would add an insurance run. Chris Widger draws a basis loaded walk. And that's what's cool, I think, about that game. Jeff Blum and Chris Widger, Pruszynski's backup catcher. That was emblematic of the entire year. You guys had yeah. a roster full of players who, and a bullpen that was just stacked, even though the starting staff didn't allow it to get any action in the ALCS. I think Neil Kotz got one out in the entire series. But uh, what a team. What a team effort it was that year from start to finish. No, it really was. And you know what was great is, you know, being traded at the deadline, you know, being the new guy in the clubhouse, they they welcomed me in, shook my hand and said, we got a job to do and you're a part of this team now. So they absorbed me into that atmosphere and I loved it. And to your point, having Widgie, you know, walk that run in, catch Burley to finish off that game, you know, it really kind of resonated with me because we, we if you watch some of the replay, you'll see Willie Harris holding up the number four. And that's because all the rejects on that team were hitting in group four. And that was myself, Chris Widger, Willie Harris, and Pablo Ozuna. And we actually had a chance to have an impact on that game because, you know, like I said, I hit the home run, Widger walked in a run, the insurance run, and then the next day, Willie Harris pinch ran and scored on Jermaine Dye's base hit for the only run in game four to, you know, to, to get that sweep. So we took a lot of pride in knowing that we were good enough to be on that ball club and have an impact. But to your point, it took all 25 guys to go out there and win that World Series. Rumor had it Mark Burley already was started on the oh. barley malt down in the bullpen and Ooh. had to take his tennis shoes off and put his spikes back on to get that <laughs> save. Yes, yeah, there's no better pain medication than than a couple of frosty ones to keep you nice and loose, and I'm sure he was pretty loose by the time he came into that game, but, you know, that was kind of the nature of the beast of that game is the fact that we just kept finding a way to to stay in, uh, in a tie, but eventually arms start to go by the wayside, and Burley was the guy that was uh, out there, and he actually offered to go out there and pitch, and to his credit, uh, he, he went out there and did the job, but at the same time, you know, that was... That was not an uncommon pattern to have a couple of starting pitchers maybe a little tipsy by the end of the ball game. Some t there were some games you'd come in and get in that high five line, and they just swing and miss because they had a couple. <laughs> yeah, Freddie Garcia was known to have a few vodkas yep. now and again. It was uh, it was a fun team. How much did that team need AJ Pruszynski though to to have a little bit of an edge to oh. it? 
You know what? I think, uh, you know, there were a couple of guys with some edges on there. I mean, I, th- I think Jermaine Dye played the game as hard as anybody I was ever with. Paul Konerko is probably one of the, he's got one of the best work ethics that I've ever seen in my life. Joe Creedy's got a little bit of funk to him over there at third base. Aaron Rowan. I mean, these were guys that got after it on and off the field. And then you say, you know, guys like AJ Przinsky, he had this persona of being that WWE heel. You know, he liked being that guy. He liked being the one that everybody booed when he came on the field or did something crazy. So there was that little bit of a deflection, you know, in his ability to just kind of take the spotlight in times. Carl Everett was another guy. That dude played angry and he was productive. So it was kind of this beautiful mix of just personalities, both on and off the field that kind of exuded itself when we, when that light switch came on. We had this amazing ability to just all of a sudden become this one one unit that knew that we were going to go out there. And if it wasn't AJ going to get it done, it was going to be Aaron Rowan or Scott Podsednik. You know, it was crazy. Agucci. I mean, everybody had a, a part to play on this team when that game started. That was probably the most fun I had was watching everybody, do, you know, kind of in unison doing their part. The White Sox won the championship in one game more than the minimum. Only the Yankees of 2000 had accomplished that prior to your White Sox. You know, winning, you learn when you get older. You might not have realized it at the time. Maybe you did. I'm I'm not sure how you're going to answer this question, but the White Sox have won two playoff games, I think, since that, that fourth game, the clincher. The uh, the Willie Harris touching the dish to win that game one to nothing. It is so damn hard to win a World Series, isn't it, man? <laughs> it's extremely hard. And you know what? There's a lot of people, if you go back and you look at probably in spring training at that what's White Sox team in 05, you're not saying, well, this is a team that can win it all. But you've got to stay healthy. You've got to overachieve a little bit in certain areas. And you've got to have some key role players go out there and do a job. And that's exactly what we had happen in that 05 series. But it's interesting that you say that because that postseason, we swept through the Boston Red Sox, the reigning World Series champions. We lost the first game to the, I don't know what they were at the time, Los Angeles Angels, Anaheim Angels, whoever the heck they were. Hmm. And then we sweep them in four straight complete games, which is an oddity in itself and will probably never be matched again in this current day of baseball. And then we go to the World Series and sweep. We went 11-1 and in that postseason, and it hasn't been – until I've watched this current Astros team for the last 11 years and realizing what they've done for the last seven years, going to seven American League Championship Series, being in four World Series, winning two of them. But there was a lot of talk in 2022 how they swept through the uh, for the, the Division Series, swept through the Championship Series, and we're in the, in the World Series. And everybody's going, this has never happened. And I thought about it. They lose two games in the World Series to the to the Philadelphia Phillies. And all of a sudden, you started to see that 05 team kind of come into the talk a little bit. They went 11-1. and one, And it's not until, you know, what are we, 18 years later where I sit back and go, damn, we were damn near dominant in that, in that, in that whole postseason. It was incredible what we did. Those, those four consecutive complete game victories. I, I don't know if we'll ever see one complete game in a World <laughs> yeah. Series. I, I don't think that's a stretch. Do you, Jeff? No, not at all. No, I've, I've watched it, you know, and I've had the chance to watch Dusty Baker kind of, you know, that old school mentality of you're, you're my best option. I'm going to put you out there for six, seven innings until you can't give me anymore, and then I'm going to go to my bullpen. And even with that being done – 
you don't see those guys. We had a no hitter in 2022 through six, five or six innings, and he pulled that pitcher. So you're not going to see it too often anymore. These guys nibble. They don't attack the zone as often as I think guys did early on in the 2000s and obviously the 90s and 80s, but really attack the zone and kind of economize their pitches to get deeper in ball games because nobody wants the hundred pitch plateau has begin has be, has become that limit. And so I don't think we'll ever see that again. That was one of the more remarkable things. After the first two complete games, you're going, damn, this is insane. And then all of a sudden you finish it off with Jose Contreras going out there and finishing off that uh, game five. It was remarkable to watch. Yeah, and I, I look the fool. I've been buddies with Dan Patrick for a number of years, and it was my first visit on his then radio-only show. And he said <laughs> before the ALC asked Jeff, what's the key to this series? And I said, Bobby Jenks. America doesn't know Bobby Jenks. Well, he you would never think, yeah. touched a goddamn ball. <laughs> he didn't get it once. Yep. Not once. Yeah, you never saw Ozzy go out there tall and wide. He didn't have to do it that time in those, in those four games. <laughs> Jeff, you hit 99 career home runs, none bigger <laughs> than the one on the 25th of October in 05. Last thing I have for you, what uh, – What's the most unusual or, or oddest, you know, unexpected phone call or congratulatory message you might have received? Now, this is this is pre-social media, so people didn't have the access to you professional athletes then as they do now. But was there a correspondence you got from somebody Man. that just knocked you out of your out of your chair? Um, there have been, there's been quite a few now that I'm on the media side, it's kind of interesting running into a lot of people. I can't remember names to be honest with you, but I know that there, there have been moments that have caught me off guard from, you know, beat writers around the country or, you know, a play by play guy in the Northeast that all of a sudden kind of comes over and goes, Hey Jeff, man, 2005, thank you for doing what you did because that was the greatest moment of my fandom uh, because I'm a huge White Sox fan. There's actually a, quite a few White Sox fans out there, but uh, you know, it, it was just a lot of fun to get a lot of that. Um, the things that kind of blow my mind are, you know, the, the fans that still come up to autograph shows when I show up in Chicago and say, Hey, you know what? You gave us an opportunity to witness something we'll probably never see in our lifetime again. My dad passed away two months after the World Series championship. Stuff like that kind of resonates. And now w watching what the Astros are going through and realizing how rare it is to win a World Series uh, makes me appreciate it that much more. But every fan from Chicago to L.A. to New York, if they have this closet kind of like shyness about being, hey, I'm a White Sox fan. They're more than happy to come up and have the conversation with me. And I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we won it on that south side. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Thank you for affording me a little bit of a baseball indulgence. I hope you White Sox fans enjoyed that. I, I know I did. And uh, I know I'm a football guy. I always will be. But I'm watching very little of these baseball playoffs. I admit it. I don't have to. Adam Delavitt usually asks me to talk about the greatest game ever invented, football. And I'm going to do that right now. I want to remind you, you can get extra value this football season. With Bet Rivers Squares, you can win up to $10,000 in bonus money. Bet $10 in same game parlays with the squares icon to earn a square. Why are the Bears such big underdogs in Los Angeles against the Chargers? Does that strike you as odd, or do you think that number, eight and a half, nine, is where you expected it to be? I'm not so sure I trust anything about the Los Angeles Chargers right now.
And my want is to call them the San Diego Chargers because every time I see that powder blue, and we'll see it Sunday night, they always wear the powder when they play on an island game, a national televised game. I always think of the Chargers. They'll always be San Diego to me. I don't think they're any good. I was expecting them to be good. And what the Bears have done defensively these last couple weeks has made me think they can play with the above-average offenses. I, You know, Washington, not an above-average offense. Bad offense, okay? The Vikings, while it has some pretty big names on it, they didn't have Justin Jefferson. When they faced the Bears, they went two out of 13 on third down. The Broncos didn't come to Soldier Field several weeks ago in week four with a prolific offense. And of course, the Bears win this past week against a hapless Las Vegas Raiders team. That offense has been anemic for five weeks. And when will they start to to howl if they haven't already? For the head of Josh McDaniel, you got to pop this guy, man. There are some NFL head coaches right now who just don't really have any good argument that they should be getting another chance after this season. And Chargers coach Brandon Staley is one of them. He is one of those guys who insists on thinking with little Brandon instead of his brain. He's more balls than brains. He likes to go for it on fourth down at his own 37, 38-yard line, fourth and two in the first quarter of a game. He has passed on opportunities to kick field goals and extend leads because he's greedy. When he has a full complement of healthy players offensively, the Chargers can be a, a formidable group. They've got Justin Herbert has what it takes. But he is doing it a lot all by himself. The running game with Austin Eckler has been sketchy. They always have injuries to their two wide receivers. One of them is always hurt. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, one of the two, is always in the tub with Delma Huddle. For those of you who know the movie North Dallas 40, you get my reference there. The tight ends are okay. Donald Parnum Jr. and... uh, I can't think of the other cat's name. Number seven, I want to say. Wear a tight ends number, and then I'll remember your name as well. But uh, I, I I don't get this number. I don't get a lot of numbers in, in this here National Football League. What did you learn last week in the NFL? Did you reach any conclusions? Whether it's Bears or anything else, I learned these things. Detroit, Miami, not as perfect as we thought. Miami getting its ass kicked as convincingly as it did, I think, is a good thing for them. I think they have been they have been cruising against inferior opponents. They they needed to get punched in the face, and boy, did they! That was not a thing. And Detroit got absolutely wiped out by Baltimore, which has resurrected its season after a bumpy start. And I won't I won't write off, maybe I said this last year, I won't write off a John Harbaugh team in September ever again because the Ravens, and this is something else I learned last week, the Ravens are a worthy division title contender. They And the Steelers, maybe they are too. Maybe I didn't give Pittsburgh enough credit. They went into L.A. and popped the Rams this week. Looking forward to seeing if Kenny Pickett can continue the magic. What else did I learn? 
Man, that uh, that dude in Denver, Kareem Jackson, is the dirtiest mother effer who plays in the NFL. I'm glad he got a four-game suspension. His hit on the Packers receiver was was indefensible. Uh, head-to-head, clearly, he targeted. You know, I, I don't like to say that too often because it's difficult to determine intent. But with Jackson's history, and I was watching it live action, and I'm like, there's no way they aren't going to they aren't going to flag him and probably eject him, which was a surprise to the guys who were calling the game. I, I didn't find there to be any debate over it. I thought that was absolutely a match penalty foul, as they say in soccer or in the great game of hockey. What else did I learn? The, the Raiders suck. I mean, you knew that. They were so listless. Their body language in the first half this past week was just dreadful. Um, so sorry I didn't pound the Bears heading into that week. But, uh, man, we're here for week eight. I'm I'm ready for all of it because I love the National Football League, and that starts tonight. Don't forget to get busy on your Bet Rivers app. And if you've not signed up, do so right now. There's bonuses. There's all kinds of ways where you can earn cool dollars for your effort the, the work you put into being a football fan, slaving away in front of a hot 60-inch 4K TV all day, every Sunday. Take advantage of it. Thanking Jeff Blum for guesting with me today on the podcast, as well as my executive producer, Sam Michael, for helping, as he always does, and Adam Delavitt, the director at Bet Rivers Podcast Network, Randy Merkin in the bookings department, Troy Mocker, Alex Pastor, everybody who helps out in a behind-the-scenes capacity. I am enormously grateful. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe if you've not done so already. I'm Dan McNeil. Have a great weekend. I'll be back Monday early for another edition of the Danny Mac Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.